From the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska, this is Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier with your host, Robin Bearfield. In a land full of peril and vicious animals, humans are the most dangerous predators of all. When a small Alaska town loses one of its children, the entire community grieves. And when a monster brutally rapes, murders, and discards that child, the residents cry out for answers and justice. In the case of Jessica Bagan, the folks in the community of Sitka, Alaska, would not have those answers for 24 years. Welcome to Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Robin Bearfield, and I'm broadcasting to you from the heart of the Kodiak National Wildlife Refuge on Kodiak Island in Alaska. The people who loved and knew Jessica best described her as a true Sitka kid. Children who grow up in small coastal Alaska towns and villages are unfazed by the wet climate and don't notice the short daylight hours in winter. Most love the outdoors and won't hesitate to swim in the frigid water of the North Pacific. They will happily unhook the fish they just caught and perhaps even kiss the slimy animal as they pose for a photo. Alaska kids are tough, and most have a strong support system of family and friends. They are raised not only by their parents, but by their entire community. After searchers discovered Jessica Baggins' body in May 1996, 1,500 Sitka residents gathered for a candlelight vigil at the spot where she was found. The townsfolk were grief-stricken, angry, and scared. Who would do such a horrible thing in their small community? And could the monster be one of them? Sitka, Alaska is part of the Alaska Panhandle in southeastern Alaska. It occupies the west side of Baranoff Island and the south half of Chichigoff Island in the Alexander Archipelago. In 1996, Sitka had a population of approximately 8,000 people. On May 4, 1996, Jessica Baggins' sister hosted a birthday party for her little sister. Jessica was turning 17 years old. Jessica's sister lived in a trailer court on Sawmill Creek Road in Sitka. And when Jessica left the party to walk home at a little after midnight, no one worried. Jessica lived with her parents less than a mile from her sister's place, and this was tiny, safe Sitka, Alaska, where everyone knew everyone else and neighbors looked out for each other. When Jessica failed to arrive home, her parents grew concerned and then frantic. Soon, searchers began combing the area near the path Jessica would have followed. Two days later, they found the t-shirt Jessica was last seen wearing. And less than two hours after that, they located her body, 70 feet off a bike path parallel to Sawmill Creek Road. According to Major Dave Hansen with the Alaska State Troopers, Jessica had been discarded and hastily buried under a log beneath the trunk of a hollowed-out tree. 
Jessica was murdered just a few blocks from her home and near a main thoroughfare in the middle of Sitka. The Alaska Department of Public Safety Training sits just across the street from where the searchers found her body. The perpetrator sexually assaulted Jessica and shoved dirt in her mouth. Analysis indicated blood found on Jessica's shirt did not match her blood type. And investigators also recovered semen and reddish-blonde pubic hairs from Jessica's body. The Sitka police suddenly had a murder to investigate, and they were in over their heads. At the time, not much more than petty crime occurred in Sitka. In 1993, the Associated Press released a humorous story about a few of the silly entries on the Sitka police blotter, including complaints of residents playing croquet too loudly. Murderers did not roam the streets of Sitka, at least not until someone killed Jessica Baggin. The Sitka Police Department might have been competent, but they did not have experience at investigating murders. Jessica's murder occurred before small-town police departments had sophisticated computer systems. So the Sitka police detectives came up with a plan to use what they had. Because they recovered reddish-blonde pubic hairs at the crime scene, police combed through DMV records and made a list of men with red or reddish-blonde hair, and they focused their attention on this list. The public demanded answers. They expected police to apprehend the murderer and quickly get him off the street. People were angry and scared. They pressured the police to arrest Jessica's killer. Into the middle of this chaos walked Richard Bingham, a longtime Sitka resident with a drinking problem and mental deficiencies. Bingham was highly suggestible. After a night of excessive drinking, he would often black out, and the following day, his friends liked to tease him by making up wild stories about what he did when he was drunk. Whatever the latest petty crime in Sitka happened to be, his friends told Bingham he did. Bingham often believed his friends and felt terrible, thinking he did the deed. While cruel to tease him, his friends mostly only accused him of harmless acts. Then, one of Bingham's so-called friends stepped way over the line and tried to convince Bingham he raped and murdered Jessica Baggin. Richard Bingham wandered into the Sitka police station and told authorities he was drunk the night Jessica Baggin disappeared. He said, I can't remember what happened. I want you guys to help me out. The Sitka police breathed a sigh of relief. They thought they had their man and could neatly wrap up this investigation. Unfortunately, while they concentrated on Bingham, the authorities overlooked another, much more likely suspect, and this man was right under their nose. Police used the controversial Reed technique to interrogate Bingham. Courts now question the Reed technique because it has spawned numerous false confessions in cases around the country. 
Interrogators who use this aggressive method often lie to suspects, claiming they possess non-existent incriminating evidence that suggests the individual committed the crime. A suspect like Richard Bingham, who already doubted his actions, proved an easy mark when questioned in this manner. After several hours of relentless interrogation, Richard Bingham confessed to the rape and murder of Jessica Bagan. Two months before someone murdered Jessica Bagan, an employee at a local Sitka grocery store found a teenage co-worker crying in the break room. The girl claimed a local man named Steve Branch had raped her. With encouragement from her co-worker, the girl reported the rape to the Sitka Police Department. The police convinced the girl to call Branch while they recorded the conversation. They wanted her to get Branch to confess to the rape but he said nothing incriminating during the call. Police did not arrest Branch for the alleged rape until June, more than a month after Jessica's murder. By then, they had already incarcerated Richard Bingham for raping and killing Jessica. Despite the girl's accusation of rape against Branch, no evidence exists to suggest the Sitka police ever considered Branch a possible suspect in the rape and murder of Jessica Bagan. In a small town with little violent crime, the authorities must have assumed they had two rapists in their community, and one was also a killer. The prosecution even had a sample of Branch's blood, and with a search warrant, the police could have tested his DNA against the DNA found on Bagan. In 1996, DNA profiling had been around for 10 years, but perhaps the budget of a small-town police force could not afford DNA analysis. They had found the money to test Richard Bingham's DNA, and they knew it did not match the DNA recovered from Jessica's body. The reason stated for drawing blood from Branch was to determine if he was HIV positive. Stephen Branch also had reddish blonde hair, just like the pubic hairs found at the crime scene. Did the police have Branch on their list of suspects? They won't say. But once Bingham confessed, they likely thought they had the killer in custody, and they stopped investigating the case. In 1997, Branch went to trial for the rape of the teenage girl. When he took the stand, he cried and admitted he'd made a mistake, but he also insisted the sex was consensual. After convening for a short time, the jury acquitted Steve Branch. Branch remained in Sitka for the next 15 years and managed to stay out of trouble. In 2010, he moved to Austin, Arkansas. Richard Bingham suffered a miserable time in a Juneau jail while awaiting his trial. He spent the first several months in isolation, but then the warden moved him into the general population, and he feared for his life. Other inmates considered Bingham a child rapist and murderer, and they tried to lure him into secluded corners not monitored by video cameras. Bingham now remembers his time in prison as the worst period of his life. 
The judge ordered Bingham's trial moved from Sitka to Juneau because he felt it would be impossible to find an impartial jury in Sitka. Bingham's attorney, Galen Payne, knew she must somehow convince the jury to dismiss Bingham's confession. She hoped to guide them away from the confession and toward the physical evidence. So she called a false confession expert to testify about the Reed Technique's propensity to produce false confessions. Payne also played a video of Bingham's interrogation, and a psychologist who had examined Bingham testified that Bingham suffers intellectual deficiencies and is vulnerable to suggestion. Payne then called a state crime lab technician to explain that the DNA recovered from the crime scene and Jessica's body did not match the DNA collected from Richard Bingham. The jury convened for only two hours before acquitting Richard Bingham on all charges. With only a questionable confession and no physical evidence pointing to Bingham, jurors believed Bingham was innocent and the Sitka police had failed to apprehend the real killer. Many in Sitka still thought Richard Bingham killed Jessica Bagan, and fearing for his safety, Bingham quickly moved out of state and eventually settled in Washington. After Bingham's release, Sitka police did not know what to do next, and the murder of Jessica Bagan soon landed on the stack of cold case files. Let me take a short break from the story so I can thank the folks at the puzzle game app Best Fiends for sponsoring Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. I appreciate your support. The world is a happier place than it was a year ago at this time, and people are beginning to travel again. Last summer, bookings dropped to 50% of capacity at our lodge. But this year, we are booked full and have very few breaks. I am thrilled but I know I will be exhausted by mid-September. I have less time during the summer to play my favorite puzzle game, Best Fiends, but I cherish those minutes after we return to our lodge from a day of sport fishing or bear viewing and I find a quiet place to connect with my best fiends. They jump up and down and I smile. They seem as happy to see me as I am to see them. In seconds, I immerse myself in my latest puzzle to free meteor mites and obliterate slime. Best Fiends is a bright, cheerful puzzle game with cute insect characters who use their special skills to help you solve each puzzle and move on to the next challenging level. Just playing Best Fiends for a few minutes relieves my stress and exhaustion from the day and energizes me for my evening tasks. The game eases my fatigue and sharpens my mind. I hope you can get out and enjoy your summer. And while you're at it, give Best Fiends a try. The game is a fun way to improve your mood and a great way to distract yourself while you sit at the airport waiting for your next flight. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends 
free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. Over the years, the Sitka Police Department, the Alaska State Troopers, and a private detective hired by Jessica's family have investigated the murder of Jessica Bagan. Authorities were able to clear more than 100 potential suspects by comparing their DNA profiles to the profile obtained from evidence left on Jessica by her killer. Nothing brought investigators any closer to finding Jessica's murderer. As the years passed, hope faded for the family and friends of Jessica Bagan. It seemed unlikely her murderer would ever be caught and convicted. Then, cold case trooper investigator Randy McFerron took charge of her case and began researching new methods for solving old murders. In 2018, McFerron read an article about a new type of forensic DNA analysis called genetic genealogy. In California, authorities had just arrested Golden State Killer suspect Joseph James D'Angelo by obtaining a familial match from comparing the DNA collected at one of the murder crime scenes to a commercially available DNA database. Parabon Nanolabs was the facility that analyzed the DNA in the Golden State Killer case. So McFerron called Parabon and asked if they would take a look at the DNA profiles from some of his Alaska cold cases. The field of investigative genetic genealogy is new, powerful, and somewhat controversial. Investigators create genetic profiles from DNA samples gathered at crime scenes. They then upload these profiles to websites such as GEDmatch, where citizens have posted their genetic profiles to learn more about possible relatives and ancestors. If the investigator locates a relative, such as a distant cousin, who matches the suspect's DNA, she then searches for all relevant family records, including birth and death certificates. She also studies family connections on social media. She then reverse engineers a family tree, building backward to a common ancestor, such as a great-great-grandparent. Next, the investigator climbs down the family tree until she finds the subsection of the family containing the unknown suspect. Sometimes this process takes hours, but other times the investigator must work months to construct the family tree. In 2019, the Alaska Bureau of Investigation's Cold Case Unit uploaded a genetic sample taken from the original crime scene of Jessica Baggins' murder. Two genetic genealogy experts, one from the Alaska State Crime Lab and one from Parabon Nanolabs, worked together to compare the profile to a familial DNA database. By 2020, investigator Randy McFerron said the genealogist had constructed a very complicated family tree that pointed to a clear suspect. The suspect was Steve Branch, the man accused of raping a teenage girl only months before Jessica was attacked and murdered. 
Branch once lived on the road where searchers found Jessica's body. Steve Branch now lived in Austin, Arkansas. Arkansas police were unsuccessful at following and collecting a discarded DNA sample from Branch, so Alaska investigators flew to Arkansas to confront Branch. Branch denied killing Bagan and refused to give detectives a DNA sample. The investigator left Branch's residence to obtain a search warrant for his DNA. And a half hour later, Branch shot and killed himself. Steve Branch will never be tried and convicted for the murder of Jessica Bagan, but authorities feel justice was served and they closed the case. For Richard Bingham, it was bittersweet news to learn authorities finally found the man who raped and killed Jessica Bagan. Since his trial and acquittal, Bingham has lived under a cloud of suspicion. He is now in poor health and angry about the events that shaped his life. He feels the state of Alaska should compensate him for the ordeal he endured in Sitka. Cece Moore, a scientist with Parabon Nanolabs and one of the pioneers of genetic genealogy, said in a recent interview that she believes the real power of this technique will emerge when police use it at the beginning of an investigation. This analysis would narrow their suspect pool and prevent them from arresting an innocent person. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to my patrons for your support. Check out the show notes for more information on how you can support this podcast and unlock extra episodes by joining the Last Frontier Club. You can also search for this podcast on Patreon to learn more about the Last Frontier Club. I'll see you soon for the next episode of Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. Thank you.